worship Jesus this morning. Amen. Come on, put your hands together. Oh, we come to the house of the Lord.
Jesus, oh God. Hallelujah.
warring with power, fighting our battles, and every knee will bow before our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain for the sins of the world, His blood breaks the chains, and every knee will bow and the Lamb. Every knee will bow. Can we sing it again, our God? Lift it up, church. Our God
and is to come. Thank you for coming and inhabiting the praises of your people this morning. Lord, as always, may we open our ears, open our minds, open our hearts 
In your name we pray. And everyone said, do you feel the presence of the Lord this morning? Amen. Turn to one next to you and say, he is holy. Amen. Jesus, let me hear your hands this morning. Good to see you here this morning. Hope you're glad you're here. If you're not glad you're here, get over it and get happy. <laughs> Good to see you this morning. I also want to say uh, just a big thank you for those of you that understood the, the uh, direction I gave, instruction I gave, just to remind you that it just really helps on Sunday, that if you do need to get up and leave, and sometimes you do need to get up and leave, I get that. If you'd go to the back and then out rather than across the front and then out, that helps us a lot. Uh, if you're going to walk across the front, please do the parade wave. No, I'm kidding. I'm joking about that. And secondly, we love to have kids here and we provide for them in a number of ways. But when a child gets rowdy, the best place for them is in the lobby. Hello? <laughs> and we want them here. So just help us out with that or put them in, take them to promised land. They'll be blessed there. As well. well, we're talking about the old paths, Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. Thus says the Lord, stand in the way and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you'll find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. There is a difference between old paths and old ways. And we used to do a number of things differently than we do them today. And that's okay. Those are all good things. Um, when we think about how we used to do things and how life has changed. And we're talking about those, some of the old ways, not methods, but the old paths that we have tend, that it seems to me that we tend to have forgotten in our faith experience. We've almost allowed the culture to shape us into a worship experience that leaves some of the things out that we need to grab a hold of. We talked about praying through on week one, what that means to pray through till the answer comes. Not to just send up bullet prayers, and I believe in those, and not just to make a positive confession, I believe in that, I believe in all of that, 
But there are times when you pray that you need to pray till you know the answer comes. Amen? Praying through. And last week we talked about pleading the blood. And I felt like God honored that service, that the Spirit of the Lord was here to talk to us. What does it mean about pleading the blood? It's not a magic formula. I plead the blood over this. I plead the blood over my car. I plead the blood over my... No, it's you're claiming the benefits, the virtues, the promises that are associated with the blood of Christ. And you have to understand what those are and then stand on those because they've been provided for us, not based on our performance, but on his provision, the blessings of the blood. This week, I want to talk about one that's um, a little bit, um, not as absent maybe, but I do think in practice we've forgotten it. So in addition to praying through and pleading the blood, I think the church has got to get back to the concept of learning how to wait on the Lord. How to wait on the Lord. Now that's not just waiting. I don't know how you are, but I hate to wait. Does anybody love to wait? I hate to wait. Now I know some of you have had bad experiences, but I had to go to the DOT and get my, um, what do they call it, real ID? I call it smart ID and she didn't know what I was talking about. Oh, I'm sorry, real ID. Had to get that, and before, you go and just wait. You know, it could be an hour, it could be two hours. I'm told in Chicago it could be eight hours, it could be ten hours. Because you have to get multiple IDs in Chicago, it takes longer. How else are you going to vote three or four times? You know, I'm just... I'm just seeing if you're listening, that's all. I hate waiting, and I'm just going to tell you, amusement parks don't amuse me. Because you spend 90% of your time waiting. You wait an hour for a 90-second ride, and somehow people call that fun. I don't, I, don't, I mean, I, I get it. I get it, um, kind of. And I don't like it when we're just waiting for no reason. I don't like it when I'm in line in the left turn lane, and the arrow turns green, and nobody moves. Park your car then. Green arrow means move. Because what's going to happen is, I'm only three cars back, but you're going to just sit there admiring the beauty of the green arrow. And when I get up there, I'm not going to get through because I'm going to have that big red ball that tells me I can't go through. I don't like to wait. So please, if you're in front of me, pay attention. Don't make me wait for no reason. I, I was in line once at a supermarket. The lady in front of me had five gazillion coupons. She could have sorted those before she got in line because she knew it was in her cart. Hello, come on. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And then she goes through those one after another. Oh, I think I have one. Oh, that one's expired. Oh, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I need out of here. I just need out of here. And then she has to count it all. Oh, I think I have three more pennies. Sweet lady, I almost paid her bill. Just to move on. Uh, so I'm not talking about I like to wait. I, I'm busy. I'm task-oriented. When I get one job done, there's another one to do. And I try to stay at that. And sometimes church can feel like that, can't it? we got to go from this to this to this. And we are time-driven. There's no doubt about that. In the worship service on Sunday, we are time-driven. And we have 
transitions that have to happen. And I'm, I'm all for that. I think it makes things easier to expedite, easier to, to enter into when you know what time it's going to start, what time it's going to get over. I get all that. So I'm not even talking about waiting on the Lord in a worship service where everybody just waits. I've been in those. And then sometimes that's just, that can be awkward if the Spirit of God's not moving. And waiting sometimes can be really frustrating if you're just waiting. In John chapter 11, Jesus gets word that Lazarus is sick and he, the disciples are just waiting. They have no idea why they're not doing anything. They're just waiting. So I want to create for you, when the Bible talks about waiting on the Lord, a picture of what that means and how we do that and what that will produce in our lives, why that's so important. It's really interesting that the word wait doesn't mean to just sit and endure time. The Hebrew word for wait means to bind together, perhaps by twisting. Hebrew words have incredible pictures. It's this idea of being woven together or twisted together over a period of time to collect. But with that, it, it carries the idea of expectation, to look patiently, waiting for or upon, to look eagerly for, to linger. Those who bind together with him shall renew their strength. Waiting is a proactive stance of drawing close to God. So here's what waiting on the Lord means. You're in a situation where you're waiting. And how many of you have seen the braided cord ceremony at a wedding? How many have seen that? Anybody have seen that? How many have not seen it? How many don't know what a wedding is? They stand there and they take three cords and they weave them together. The husband, the wife, and God all woven together. It's kind of a cute thing to do. I get that. It's fun. But that's really what the picture of waiting on the Lord means. You're not just sitting there waiting for a traffic light to change. You're not just sitting there waiting for something to happen. You're waiting with expectation that God is going to move. And what's happening during that waiting period is you're being woven together. You're being braided together with God. Think of it this way. In your relationship with your spouse or even with a a good friend, that if you spend all of your time doing stuff together, you never really get connected together. But when you have time simply spending time together without an agenda, you begin to learn who that other person is, and you begin to share life together in conversation, and you begin to get woven together. Is that making sense to anyone? Waiting on the Lord isn't just, oh, I hope something happens. It's eagerly, expectantly waiting for God to do something, and in that waiting process, you're being braided together, wound together, woven together with God. You're going to learn some things about him that you won't learn any other way. There are times to shout. There are times to dance. There are times to run. There's time to to rebuke the devil and confess the goodness of God. And then there are times that you just need to wait on the Lord. And there are things that will happen there that can't happen any other way. And I will tell you that a worship service isn't the place normally for that to happen. 
Now, God can move in a unique, sovereign way. I've been in those services where it's like the glory cloud of God moves in. And no one dare speak or no one dare move because there's such an awesome presence of God and we just wait on him. But I'm not driving toward that. I'm driving toward you having time that you set aside and all of your busyness and your expectation and what you want to do um, in your uh, spiritual walk or in your career or with your family, setting all that aside and just sitting. Now, I'm not saying this is an example that you should follow, but if, you've, if you uh, know my wife at all, you know that she's also project-driven and getting jobs done. And if you want to get to know her, work with her, and she'll work you to death. Um, <laughs> sitting still can be a waste of time. Things could be done. But there are times that she and I need to, I'll make coffee, and we'll sit out on the patio. There's no agenda. I don't get out my calendar. I don't get out a list. We just sit together. Sometimes talk, sometimes just together. Are you hearing me? And what happens in that is there's a weaving together in time spent together, just waiting in each other's presence. You need to learn how to simply wait in the presence of God. He will do things in you that will braid you together with him. And I want to show you what will happen if we learn to do that. The first thing that will happen, or let me, let me back up to Isaiah chapter 26. This kind of explains what I'm talking about. Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and renown are the desire of our hearts. Listen to this. My soul yearns for you in the night. In the morning, my spirit longs for you. When your judgments come upon the earth, the people of the world learn righteousness. Here's the phrase I want you to get. I'm waiting for you. What does that mean? You're staying in relationship to God until your soul yearns for him, until your spirit longs for him, and that comes as you wait on him. It's a relational longing and loving and yearning for God that draws you to him. The first thing that will produce for you is divine favor. You want to feel and know the favor of God. Learn to wait on the Lord. Lamentations chapter 3 verses 25 and 26 say this. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. Do you hear what I just said? The Lord is good for those who wait for him. To the soul who seeks him, it is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. Now, what's the context of Lamentations chapter 3? The book of Lamentations was written by Jeremiah, who's called the weeping prophet, really because of that book and the sorrow over what the nation of Israel was going through. Anybody, anybody agree with me that it seems like our world is in a bigger mess today than it's ever been in conversation discussions things that are happening that don't seem to make any sense and it's going down that direction and Israel was worse than that they're in a place of bondage Jeremiah is weeping over the nation and the book of lamentation is a series of laments of prayers crying out to God and in chapter 3 it's a lament of intercession he's praying for the nation 
He describes the nation's judgments through verse 18, but then in verse 19 he says, I remember my affliction, I call it to mind, I have hope. (laughs) Oh, are you kidding me? That's not where I live. I remember my affliction, I call it to mind, and I am depressed. I remember my affliction, I call it to mind, and I'm ticked off. I remember my affliction, I call it to mind, and I get angry with God and begin to blame him. That's not what Jeremiah says. Remember your affliction, remember what you've been through, bring it to mind, and when you're waiting on God, do you know what'll happen? When you look at your affliction right now and the struggle that you're in, he'll remind you of where you were, and you need to wait on God until your despair and your depression and your discouragement moves to hope. And only God can do that, that you look at the trouble you're in and the result of that would be, I have hope because I'm anchored in Jesus. I have confidence in him that he will bring it all to pass. I'm waiting on him and my discouragement is producing hope in me. That only happens as you learn to wait on him. Because as you wait on him, you'll hear from him. He'll give explanation. He'll make it clear what he's trying to do. There's a story told by Charles Spurgeon in regard to this text in Lamentations where he says that the south of Africa, the sea was generally so stormy when the frail barks of the Portuguese went sailing south, they named it the Cape of Storms. The ships wouldn't maintain as they went down the Horn of Africa. It was the Cape of Storms. But later, that cape had been well-rounded by bolder navigators with better ships, and they named it the Cape of Good Hope. What a transition from the Cape of Storms to the Cape of Good Hope. And he says, but you, in your experience, have had many cape of storms, but you have weathered them all. And now let them be a cape of good hope to you. When you're waiting on God, the storm is a reminder of what he can do and will do and bring you through. Why? Because as you wait on him, there'll be a sense of his divine favor and God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. And you learn that as you wait on him. (laughs) How many of you have ever been mad at somebody? (laughs) Pretend I didn't say that because I'm going to give you a chance to repent. (laughs) How many of you have been mad at someone at some time in your life? And how many of you would admit that the longer you're separated from them, the more angry you become. Because you begin to build up all these things that they've said and done and you gather ammunition and you're ready to blow them up. But have you ever had the experience that someone you're mad at, you're put in a situation that you have to spend time with them. And when you have to spend time with them, those conflicts often begin to change because now you don't see the offense. You see the person and relationships can be restored when with good faith you spend time together. And and in our storms, we will learn that God is good. 
Spurgeon goes on to say this, do not be in a hurry. Do not be in a hurry. Do not expect to be delivered out of your trouble the first time you cry to the Lord. <laughs> oh, how many wish they hadn't come this morning? We're Pentecostals, we have that, right? Resist the devil, he'll flee. That is absolutely true. But you know what that word resist means? It means to hold your ground. It doesn't mean you say, go away, devil, and he runs. When he begins to believe that you're not giving up and you hold your ground, he will flee. We want an answer immediately. I confessed it. I spoke it. I said it. It should come to pass and fail to understand that there is something else happening in our dilemma. Do not expect to be delivered out of your trouble the first time you begin to cry to God. Oh, no. The Lord is good to them that wait on him that seek him. Riken says there are times when the only thing a sufferer can do is wait on God but waiting is good because God is worth waiting for. I said waiting is good because God is worth waiting for and when you wait on him you begin to see his character, his person, his nature and his kindness. Waiting brings divine favor because in that struggle you're being woven together with him. You're waiting on him. You're becoming one with him. And I'll tell you, even in human relationships, when you go to a party with someone, that's different than when you've gone through a trial with someone. When you've walked together through a storm, you've fought battles together, you've faced the beast, you've faced the enemy together, arm in arm and in lockstep. It builds a bond with that individual. You're woven together with them because you faced the storm, you fought it and won. And God's wanting us to be woven together with him, that we learn how to trust him. We're no longer making demands. We are in a place where we're experiencing the favor of God in the midst of our storm. He is good to those who wait on him. If you want divine favor, you want to experience that, feel him. I've never yet, never, never have I heard someone say, Pastor, I spent hours waiting on God and I feel more separated from him than ever. It's not what happens. If you really wait on the Lord, He's good to those who wait on him. And you'll begin to experience his favor. Secondly, those who wait on him will renew their strength. How many remember that song? We sang that to death, still sing it some. They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. How many have ever sung that? We sing it and we don't want to experience it. We want someone else to be encouraged by it. Isaiah 40, 31, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So what does that tell us if we're not mounting up with wings, if we are weary, if we are fainting? What is the solution to that? Wait on the Lord. Get back in, in the presence of God and stay there until your strength is renewed. Isaiah 40 begins with this call, comfort my people. The nation is tired and weary. They're feeling abandoned by God. They've been living in exile for many years. And I don't know, I don't know that, I've ever, that I ever remember a time in our, nature, in our nation that I've experienced people more tired, more exiled, more separated. 
I talked to a couple this morning. It's just, how many are frustrated by where we are? Doesn't, it make, doesn't some of this just make you tired? Mother that's 97 in a care facility, memory care, but lucid enough to know what's going on. She's tested negative for COVID, but there's a case in the facility. She's in a room without a window, quarantined for 14 days. Nobody can come see her. And her response to that is, let me get COVID. I'm 97 years old. I'd, I'd rather die and go to heaven than be locked in this jail. Now, I'm not speaking for or against. I get what the care facility is doing. I get that. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I'm not picking. I'm just saying that despair, what we're dealing with and fighting with in a nation is overwhelming. People are exhausted. They're worn out. What is true today may not be true tomorrow. People trying to make decisions. What direction do we go? Do you ever feel tired and worn out by life's demands? Your job is too much. Your family is too much. What you're dealing with is too big. How many have ever been there in a place where this is just too much for me? Stop the world. I want to get off. I always thought my mother had a little bit of a mental disorder. We have, there were five of us in the family. I'm the oldest, four sisters. We're all about, less, about a year apart. So imagine five kids that are five, four, three, two, one. And I, I remember her saying to me, every now and then, she would yell at us, believe it or not, five foot one, and shrinking. And she would, I would look at her and she would say, do not call me mom again today. Do not call me mom. Call me Susie. Call me Sandy. Call me something else. But do not call me mother today and walk away. And I thought, I think she needs help. I mean, I'm just a kid, but there's, there is something going on with her that's just, that's weird. So what, I just went outside. I don't know what's happening here. But now as an adult, can you imagine? It'd be like having a bunch of magpies around. Mom, 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 mom. Five, four, three, two, one. Mom, 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 mom. Anybody, you know, mom, mom. And I get it now. Oh, don't, don't talk to me. Let me out of here. Yet life can be overwhelming. It can be too big. You're exhausted. You're tired. I don't know what else to do. I've had it. I just want off. I want out. I want delivered. I want free somehow. My marriage isn't working. I went out. I wish my kids would go away. My mother used to tell me to go play in the traffic. That's how bad it would get. I think she half meant it. Israel is there their whole life. Exile, exhausted, weary. Through Isaiah, God is saying, comfort my people. Because the heart of God is broken for us when we're in that place that we just are out of energy and out of strength and out of hope. And Isaiah begins with a series of questions that are inspired by God to ask the nation. Now, I'm going to read those to you, uh, beginning in verse 25 of Isaiah chapter 40. It says this, 24, no sooner are they planted, talking about what they're doing, no sooner are they planted, 
No sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither and the whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. Everything we do dries them and dies and is blown away. And he's expressing the frustration of the nation. Listen to what Isaiah says. To whom God is speaking, to whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and look. Look to the heavens. Who created all these things? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each one of them by name because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. And I would say that to you this morning. Do you not know? Have you not heard that the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He will not grow tired. He will not grow weary. And his understanding no one can fathom. Have you not heard? Have you forgotten all that you know? Have you forgotten who he is? Because he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even the youths grow weary and tired and the young men stumble and fall. But those, whoo, but those, even the young can't keep on. But those who wait on the Lord. <laughs> Come on, help me this morning. I said, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And I'm saying to you, church, when you're weary and tired, have you not heard? Have you forgotten? Look at the sun, the moon, the stars. Look at the landscape. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. Get alone with him. Wait on him. And when you wait on him, he will renew your strength. Well, I need a vacation. I need a break. You probably do. But more than that, you need to wait. Because if you take your weariness and brokenness on vacation, you'll come back even more weary and more broken. But those that wait on the Lord, are you hearing me? Take it to the Lord. Wait on him. Let him begin to refresh in supernatural ways. Learn of him. Strength will be renewed. What did Jesus say? Come to me. Somebody needs to hear this right now in this room. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, if you're worn out and exhausted, you're carrying a burden and a load that he doesn't intend for you to carry, and when you get alone with him, here's what he'll do. He'll take that yoke that you can't carry and put it on his neck, and he'll take a yoke you can carry and put it on yours, and 
and you'll come out of there different than you went in and the only way for that to happen is to come to him and wait on him and stay with him. Your strength will be renewed. Third, you'll experience an intimate presence of God. Isaiah 40 verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. Oh, I love this. I love the picture here. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. David is in the pit of despair in Isaiah in Psalm chapter 40. No one knows what circumstance he is writing about. They don't know what's happening there, but he talks about being in the miry clay, being in a difficult place where it's slimy and difficult and hard. King James calls it a horrible pit, slimy, muddy, and mire. We joke, little story, when uh, Crystal was a little three or four years old. And this may shock you, but she did not like to get dirty. And she hated the mud. We were living in a new house, a little bread box house about 900 square feet and they had done some sod and the back was all muddy and the neighbor had a garden that was muddy and she had on her mud boots and she went out to play and she stepped in that mud and it sunk up over her boots and she, and she is not I'm telling you she is not stepping out of those boots and put her feet in the mud we hear this yelling and crying and come out the back help I'm stuck in the mud. Help. I'm stuck in the mud. That may not be funny to you, but it was hilarious at the time. She just needed to step out of those boots and walk in, but she's, I'm stuck in the mud. And since then, I can't tell you how many Christians I've seen crying out the same thing. I'm stuck in the mud. David was in that place. I'm in a slimy pit. I'm in the deep miry clay. I don't have any way out of here. But he says, he lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the muck and mire, and he set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. What did we do with Crystal? We stood there and told her how silly she was that she ought to get out and walk and she's going to learn a lesson and walk through that mud and we were not at all. I don't remember exactly who went to her, but it's my story. I believe I did. <laughs> and I just went out. I just picked her up because she couldn't get out of the mud. I picked her up and carried her to solid ground. Have you ever been there? Where Jesus came by and put his arm around you and he picked you up out of the miry clay and set your feet on a rock to stay. He brought me out of the miry clay, put a song in my soul today. And only Jesus can do that. If you wait on him, he will lift you up out of the muck and the mire and put you on solid ground. But there's a part of this
the NIV says in verse one, he turned to me. That's like I'm standing in the lobby. Hey, pastor, I can turn to you. That's so shallow on what the word means. The word is he he inclined. He didn't turn. It means to stretch out, to extend, like pitching a tent, to bend down, to be stretched out alongside of. (laughs) He bent down to where you were. The other night, we had Jotham overnight, and Jotham is three, I think he's three. In the middle of the night, he's crying. Here's what I know about a three-year-old. You cannot reason with a crying three-year-old. You can tell them all the reasons not to cry. Carol talked to him, I went in, and instead of talking to him, I inclined to him. I got down beside his bed and then I laid down on the bed and I rubbed his head. And I talked to him. It was all going to be okay. Just loved on him for a while. Do you know what Isaiah 40 is saying? When you were so low, you couldn't get up and crying alone in the dark, he inclined to you. Come on, someone help me this morning. I don't mean help me get up. I mean, (laughs) he came down to my level when I couldn't get up to his. He reached down to where I was. He laid alongside me. He didn't rebuke me. But in my despair, in the miry clay, he came along and bent down to me. He didn't say, come up where I am. He said, I'll come down to where you are. And he hung on a cross and rose from the dead. Why? Because he inclined to you in the deep miry clay and lifted you out and put you on a solid rock waiting on the Lord he will come by and he will incline to you he will lay down beside you and remind you it's all going to be okay I said to Jotham are you ready to sleep he pushed me and told me I could leave the room (laughs) he was done number four is supernatural joy Anybody can have joy when, when you, it's your birthday and you got everything that you wanted. But what about joy when life is hard, when it's difficult, when it isn't easy? Isaiah chapter 25, verse 9. And it will be said in that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Now, what are they talking about in Isaiah chapter 25? Much, most of the prophecies of the Old Testament are about the Messiah. They're messianic prophecies looking forward to the restoration of the kingdom and the millennial reign of Christ as we understand it today. But they all have spiritual fulfillment as well. That there are promises of the millennium that are available to us today in our relationship with God. He says we've waited and he will save us. 
And it will be said in that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him and he will save us. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. So listen to what that says. It doesn't say we have waited on him and we hope that he'll come. We've waited on him and we kind of expect something will happen. We're waiting on him and there's a good chance this will get better. No. No, people that know him say we have waited on him and he will save us. That confidence comes from waiting on God. It's not, I don't wonder if he will. I'm not waiting hoping he does. I'm waiting knowing he will. You can be confident because he will save. People that wait on God have a confidence even in their struggle. He will save. He will come by. And that day will bring us into a place of gladness and rejoicing. Listen to me, anyone can have joy in the possession. Anyone can have joy when the answer comes. <laughs> but there's a better joy. Better than the joy of possession, there's the joy of his presence. Just being with him. I can't, I mean, I can't quantify it. I can't tell you that... The joy meter goes up as your, um, as your waiting time increases. 15 minutes will give you a quarter tank. Half hour will give you a half tank. I can't tell you how it works. I can just tell you. I've come in here. I've been out in the woods. I've been by a stream. I've been various places where in my car driving down the road and just calling on him. I don't know how it happens. I don't know, but I know that as you're being braided together with him, waiting on him, somehow, miraculously, supernaturally, unexplainably, that sorrow begins to change to joy. There's something that begins to well up as you spend time with him. A mark of spending time with the Lord is supernatural joy. Psalm 16 verse 11 says, You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Last, the fifth benefit of waiting on the Lord is temporal blessing, temporal blessing, physical blessing, blessing in this life. I'm glad I'm going to heaven. How many of you are glad you're going to heaven? Come on, glad I'm going to heaven. That's a big deal. I'm not planning to go this morning, but when my time comes, that's where I'm going. I'm looking forward to that day. But I would like to have a little bit of blessing while I'm still here. How many of you would like a little more physical blessing? You know? Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest be in health and prosper, even as your soul prospers. Given it shall be given to you, pressed down, shaking other and running over, shall men give into your bosom. I've come that you might have abundant life, life to the full. God has that for all of you. And in Psalm 37, verse 34, the Bible says, wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, 
you shall see it. So what's the issue in Psalm 37? What is it that David's wrestling with? David is wrestling, and I got to be really, really careful here. David is wrestling with the idea, why do the wicked prosper? (laughs) Why do some people win elections? Why do some people seem to make money by stepping on the backs of others? Why is it that you can enforce slave labor, child labor in other countries and make yourself a billionaire in this country? Why is it that the wicked seem to prosper? Why is it? And God is saying, they won't always. They won't always. David wrestles with that. And here's what he says when you wrestle with that. Don't fret over the prosperity of the wicked. Keep doing what you know is right. Because at the end of life's journey, you will find your life has been abundantly blessed beyond anything that they've experienced when you watch their worlds fall apart. The wicked will be cut off spiritually, physically, eternally. Keep that in focus. The wicked will be cut off. There will be a payday. They will suffer. But here's what God will do. He will exalt you and you will inherit the land. He wants to prosper you and bless you. Where does that come from? It comes from waiting on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord and you'll inherit the land. Now I know ultimately, do you know what I know? I know I'm coming back, riding behind the one who's on a white horse when he sets up a millennial kingdom and we will rule and reign with him. But there are also issues in this life today where if you will hold on, God will bless you with temporal, physical blessings. He doesn't want you to just have joy on the inside. He wants you to have expressions and the fruit of joy on the outside. Lost my job, what do I do? You wait on the Lord. You wait on the Lord and he will allow you to inherit the land. Psalm 37 also says this in verse four, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now I know that's been used in, 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 in um, uh, positive confession circles that if you delight in the Lord, whatever you desire, he'll give you. That totally misunderstands the text. Do you know what happens when you delight in the Lord? He will give you the kind of desires your heart needs to have. And when he gives you the desires your heart needs to have, those desires will come to pass. Delight in the Lord. When you delight in him and everything is about him, he will give you the desires of your heart. You say, well, that's all Old Testament. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. Because that's how the New Testament starts. How important is this waiting on the Lord? 
Acts chapter one. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, what were they doing when they're eating? They were communing together. They were waiting on each other. He gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. (laughs) Wait for the gift my father has promised. It's how the early church started. The, The first principle of the early church wasn't miracles and signs and wonders. It was learn to wait. Don't start ministry. Don't leave Jerusalem until you've learned how to wait on God. Wait on the Father. And he will empower you for service. What will you get? Divine favor, renewed strength, an intimate presence, supernatural joy, and temporal blessing. Well, what? What does that look like? Revelation chapter 3. We use it all the time for sinners. We say, God's knocking at your door. Open the door and let him in. Revelation chapter 3 wasn't written for unbelievers. It was written to believers. Listen to what it says in the context of waiting on the Lord. It's a church in Laodicea. He walks up to the house. Here I am. Here I am. I stand at your door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And to him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. That was written for us. That's what I'm calling you to. He's right here. (laughs) He's knocking on your door. And if you'll open it and have time. (laughs) We used to, in Ames, have college students over. And number one, they didn't know if they were going to come until they got to the door. We're going to feed them supper. And then they never knew when to leave. And at about 11 o'clock, I would open the front door and say, the visit's over, you're all going home. (laughs) Jesus isn't like that. If you'll open the door, he'll come in. (laughs) Think about that. It revolutionized your life. Instead of sending up your prayers and saying your confession of faith. He just said, Jesus, I'm tired and weary. I'm worn, I'm hurt, I'm broken. But I know you're here. Would you come in? Just spend some time with me. Do you know that's all he wants? That's his desire? When we say that he's our God, he'll say, those are my people. And he wants to tabernacle with us, to live among us like he did with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. And they enjoyed sweet fellowship in the garden. All you have to do is open the door. Will you spend some time with me? So let's stand together. And here's what I'm going to ask of you today. I'm going to ask you to consider carving out some time. Carving out some time to invite Jesus 
to just spend some time with you and become braided together with Jesus. Oh, what a difference. What a difference when we learn to wait on the Lord. Here I am waiting Abide in me, I pray Here I am
27, that's David's prayer. One thing I ask from the Lord, and that only will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. He says at the end of that chapter, I remain confident of this. In other words, I would have fainted unless I believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. If you'll give me just two minutes, I wasn't gonna do this today, but I, f- I just feel like I need to, I need you to hear this from my heart. You can be seated just for a minute. You may have to make some changes in your busy life in order to carve out time to wait on the Lord. I've just recently made some changes because of that in my life. Circumstances, pushed me into a corner and I had to decide if I was going to invest my time in fruitless effort or invest my time where the Lord was producing fruit. All efforts, not the same. As a result of that process, I resigned as a national general presbyter. I resigned as an executive presbyter. I resigned as secretary of the Iowa Ministry Network, and I resigned as the director of Iowa School of Ministry. Not because I'm depressed, but because I wanna focus my energy where God is producing fruit, not where it's producing increased frustration. Does that make sense? I'm being really transparent right now, probably more than I should. What has that produced? Well, yesterday, my grandson is, wants to be a golfer. So I took him to the driving range. And my wife said, you realize if you hadn't made that change, you wouldn't have been able to do that today because you'd have been doing something else. 
the staff came into my office and often they'll spontaneously go to lunch. My life has been way too busy to be spontaneous. If you wanted to go to lunch with me, give me a five-day notice. And four of them walked in and said, look, you've resigned. You're not too busy. You're going to lunch with us today. Amen. 